We're continuing through looking at the Lord's Prayer, and in particular how Jesus has given us the Lord's Prayer as a model of how we are to pray, not as a a set of words just to mindlessly repeat, but as a pattern and as a framework to guide our prayers. This week we're focusing on the instruction that Jesus gives us to pray, um, that we would be led not into temptation and that we would be delivered from evil. So to understand this, we're going to look at a passage where Jesus himself is led into temptation. Follow along with me as I read Luke chapter 4. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by, by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And he said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem, and he set him on a pinnacle of the temple, and he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. We have been looking at the Lord's Prayer over these last several weeks, and we're now about halfway through the series. And I just got a simple question for you is today, I would really like to know, how has it been going? Like, have your your prayers been more fruitful Um, Have you gotten to know your Heavenly Father more intimately? And if not, honestly, why not? I know for some people, when we started in the first week, I said, how do you begin praying? Well, the simple way to do it is that you schedule a time to pray. Best to do it in the morning. You set your alarm clock to get up a little bit earlier, and you make sure that you don't have any distractions, and you devote yourself to prayer during that time. You go to bed early so that you're able to do that. And I had several people within the first two weeks say to me, you know what, I did that. I set my alarm clock earlier, I got up a whole lot earlier, and all kinds of things started happening. I was getting early morning phone calls from work, my kids were getting out of bed early, all kinds of stuff was happening. Well, quite frankly, I'm not surprised, because as we'll see in a minute, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour, and does not want you to be having time with your Heavenly Father. So, this comes back to the question, how has it been going for you? And I would love some feedback on that. I'd love for you to let me know exactly how is your prayer life growing and changed because the tendency that happens when we do a sermon series like this on the Lord's Prayer is we talk a lot about prayer, we think about prayer when you come to church, but it doesn't actually change anything. And what we're concerned about going through this is that your prayer life would be richer, that it would be, more, that it would be deeper, that it would be more intimate, that this just wouldn't be a, a, something that you do, but that prayer would actually be a time where you are communing and knowing and in relationship with your Heavenly Father. So, Jesus taught us to pray. 
And let us open with prayer. We're going to go through the Lord's Prayer, just pausing briefly, just to, for you to say in your own words what these different petitions for us mean before we dive in this morning. So join with me in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we pause and acknowledge who it is that we are praying to and that you are our Father. Father, we ask that your name would be hallowed, that it would be honored, that your renown would spread, that the good and true things about your character would be ascribed to you, that the name of Christ would be upheld in our lives and in our language. May your name be hallowed. Father, we pray that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray that just as it will one day be, Lord, that it would be that way right now. Father, we ask that you would give us this day our daily bread, that you would provide what we need this day, and that we would rest knowing that you are our good heavenly Father and that you are the one who cares for us and provides for us. Father, this morning in particular, we pray that you would help us to know what it means, that you would lead us not into temptation, that you would deliver us from evil. And in all these things, Father, we pray that yours would be the glory, the honor, the power forever and ever. Amen. So what are we praying? What is Jesus teaching us to pray when he says, pray, Father, that you would lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one? Specifically, what we are asking for here is that the Lord would preserve us that he would lead us away from temptation and that he would lead us away from times of intense suffering, even. But as we pray, lead us not into temptation, there's a couple things that we need to clarify here about what happens. And as we see, particularly in this passage, Jesus being led into temptation. Scripture makes clear that God himself does not tempt us. Indeed, he cannot tempt us. James says this, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. Is that why are you tempted? Well, it's not because God is is tempting you. What happens here and what it's identifying is that when you are tempted, God is allowing temptation to occur. But allowing temptation to occur is not the same thing as actually tempting somebody. For example, allowing for a commanding officer to allow his Navy SEAL unit to go into combat and to be shot at is not the same thing as if that commanding officer were shooting at his sailors, right? Those are two different things. Similarly, It is not the same thing that God allowing us to be tempted is not the same thing as God himself tempting us. 
And Scripture makes clear that God does not tempt us. Well, how then is a person tempted? Verse 14 makes clear in James. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. How are we tempted? Well, the desires of our heart, there are opportunities that get expressed, and the things that are already within us tempt us. The temptation comes not from the outside, but it comes from the inside. And he goes on to say in verse 15, Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and when it is fully grown, brings forth death. That it develops within us, and that is when we decide to sin. Temptations, being tempted, does not cause you to act. In fact, nobody, no thing, can make you do anything. So when you are tempted and when you sin by falling into temptation, what Scripture makes clear is that the devil didn't make you do it. The devil can tempt you. He can create opportunities. He can suggest temptations. But the one who is tempted is the one who performs the act. Other people don't make you sin. If you say, you know what, you make me so angry. Well, that's not really true because they can't actually make you angry. What it can be true is this. You have given me an incredible opportunity to express what is already going on in my heart in this particular moment, right? Is that we're the ones who are responsible for it. Sometimes people say, you know what, well, if you didn't do that, I wouldn't have done this. Well, what they did is really irrelevant to what you did because you're the one who's responsible for it. To use more contemporary terminology, someone tripping one of your triggers is not the reason for sin in your life. Someone triggering something in you is not the reason why you did something. What Scripture identifies is that we love to blame other people, other things for our sin, but there is only one person who can make you do what you do. It's not your spouse, it's not your child, it's not the dog, it's not the devil, it's you. And if you do not accept, if we do not accept, if you do not accept and own full responsibility for your thoughts and your actions, you will never become someone who is not controlled by the actions and whims of other people. If you do not accept and own full responsibility for your own thoughts and actions, you will never become someone who is not controlled by the actions and whims of other people. So Scripture makes clear that when we are tempted, it is something that comes from within us. Given that, what does Jesus mean when he teaches us to pray, Father, lead us not into temptation? The Lord's Prayer in Luke comes about in Luke chapter 11. Several chapters earlier in Luke chapter 4 was the passage that we just read a little bit ago. And notice what happens to Jesus. It says, In Jesus, full of the Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. What has happened to Jesus? The Spirit has led him into this time of temptation and led him into this time of testing. And as Jesus goes in this time of temptation, this time of testing, what he is tested with from, comes from within. And he was tested with, in particular, is that who would Jesus ultimately trust? He is tempted with, the devil tempts him with, who would Jesus t- trust for his provision? The devil says to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to be bread. Are you going to trust yourself or are you going to trust God? You could do this. You could make this happen. And then the, devil t- then the devil tempts Jesus 
with tempting him with having a supreme position that he didn't have to earn, and he didn't have to suffer to get there. He says to him, takes him to the top, shows him all the kingdoms of the world, says, to you I will give the authority and the glory for it has been delivered to me, and I'll give it to whoever you will if you worship me. The question for Jesus at this point is, who would Jesus trust for his position in life? Who would Jesus trust for his success? And then he's ultimately tempted with the question of, who does he serve? And the devil says to him, he takes him to the top of the temple in Jerusalem, says, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down from here, because scripture says he'll command his angels to guard you, and your, st- your foot won't strike, won't be, st- and you... Or on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. What is the devil tempting Jesus with? He's asking him, does God exist to serve you? Or do you exist to serve God? What is the order of the two things that are going on here? But the devil, but the Spirit of God led Jesus into this time to be tempted by the devil. There's another period in Jesus' life when he goes through severe temptation. And it's in the Garden of Gethsemane, right before his crucifixion. While he is there, the devil is tempting him. He knows that the cross stands before him, that he is going to have to die, that the wrath of God is going to be poured out on him for the sins of mankind. And as Jesus is praying in the garden, he brings some of his disciples along with him, and he tells them to pray. And then they fall asleep. And then Jesus wakes them up, and actually while Jesus is praying, Jesus says, Father, um, Father, I pray that you would take this cup from me, but not my will, but your will be done. What Jesus is praying is, Father, would you lead me not into this time of temptation? Would you take this cup away from me? Would you take this thing that I'm about to go through, would you take it away from me, but not my will, but your will be done? And then Jesus goes to his disciples who are over there and have fallen asleep. And guess what he says to his disciples? Jesus, in the midst of this period of intense temptation, goes to his disciples and he says to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. I think what you see here is Jesus' empathy towards us. I think you see him looking at us and his disciples and he's saying, guys, you have no idea what is going on over here. Pray that you would not have to go through such periods of intense suffering. Pray that you would not be led into temptation. I think you can, we can see this within our own lives, right? I mean, there are times in our lives when we look and we know that there is an incredibly difficult and challenging road before us. It might become with a diagnosis that you don't want or family situations that are horrendous. Or something happens to you, but you know that you have to walk, through, walk down a very, very difficult road. And the encouragement that Scripture gives to us, you see modeled in Jesus' prayer, is that we pray, Father, you are my leader. You are my God. Where you go, I will go. But Father, I do ask that you would lead me not into temptation. That you would lead me not into a period of suffering. That you would lead me away from temptation because I know the deceitfulness of my own heart and I don't want to be tempted because I don't want to sin against you. And I'm afraid that I might sin against the God I love. I think as Christians we can open up our eyes and look around the globe 
And we can see the temptations and the testings that brothers and sisters around the globe are going through. And I think only in heaven will we know the great extent to which God has answered this prayer for us. You know, that we can consider brothers and sisters in China who are going through intense persecution, suffering, and torture for their faith. Brothers, churches in Central Asia and Saudi Arabia who go through intense persecution, intense testing, intense temptation to resist, to renounce their faith. And I believe what Jesus is inviting us to is with compassion saying to us, pray that you don't have to, that you're not going to be the church in China right now. Pray that you don't have to enter into the severe testing that God's people periodically go through. But when you do, and in those times comes, know that your Heavenly Father is with you, and He will not abandon you, and He is there to strengthen you. So pray that you would be led not, that you would enter not, as Matthew 26 says, that you would enter not into these times of temptation. I think that's actually remarkably encouraging for us. One, not only to pray it, but also to realize that God is with us and he understands the immense suffering that sometimes people in this life go through. And he, God does not delight in suffering, but he does use it to refine us and to shape us. And so he teaches us to pray, Lord, lead us not into temptation. The second half of this is to say, but deliver us from evil, or as I pray and I teach our children to pray, deliver us from the evil one. The reason for this is because our modern concept of evil is pretty much nothing like the biblical, the Bible's concept of evil. We tend to think of evil as this abstract entity, this force that's out there, kind of like Star Wars. There's the good side, the bad side. There's kind of like this evil cosmic energy that kind of just does stuff, and we don't want the dark cloud to come over us, so, you know, pray that the evil clouds move in other directions and, and that whole thing, and you get it when people are talking about karma and, and yada, 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 and there's this idea that evil is just this energy that just exists, and that the devil is just a symbol of evil. That's one conception of it we have. Also, we think we talk of evil in terms of like um, net plagues and tsunamis, but those are not morally evil. They're tragedies, they're awful, but they're not evil in terms of morally culpable, morally guilty. What happens with all of our abstractions about what evil is, is that the biblical picture is that evil is always personally embodied. Moral evil is always personally expressed. And we tend to ignore that evil is personal and indwells within people. Now, hopefully, evil is not the totality of a person, though that's possible, such as the devil himself. But evil is personal. You see this in the way that Jesus has to deal with evil. And this is the reason why I use the phrase, let me back up, this is the reason why I use the phrase deliver us from the evil one, namely because the, the, the language there actually says, but deliver us from the evil. The, deliver us from the evil. It is referring to a specific thing, to a specific issue, right? 
deliver us from the evil one. Why? Because the evil one or his minions are those with whom we do battle. You see this in Luke 4, is that when the devil had ended every temptation, how was Jesus in the midst of this time of testing and temptation? It was because he was engaged with one who was evil, namely the devil himself. And Scripture warns us in 1 Peter chapter 5, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. That the battle that you face is not against a cosmic force and against a cosmic entity. It is against personal evil through the devil, through his minions, or evil expressed in other people and in people and in people in particular. So Jesus is teaching us to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Deliver us from the evil one and from his minions. Now, Scripture reveals that there are several ways that God actually delivers us from the evil one. We're going to look at five of them real briefly. The first way that God delivers us from the evil one is he prevents evil from happening. This is actually what we just prayed, lead us not into temptation. We're praying that God would prevent a situation where we would need to be delivered from the evil one. That's the first one. I told you we're going to go through these quickly. The second one is, how do you deal with evil? One is by preventing, how does God deliver us? One, by preventing it. The other way, the next way, is by way of escape. 1 Corinthians 10.13 tells us, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. What does that mean? It means that the temptations that you deal with in your life, people have dealt with for thousands of years. You are not unique. Your temptation is not special. It, is not, it does not deserve special consideration. People have dealt with this temptation before, and guess what? After you, Christians will deal with these temptations in the future. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. It goes on to say, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, when you're tempted, when you're in a time of temptation, with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Is that when there is times of temptation, there is always a way out. You always have the option to not sin. God will never put you in a situation where you can only sin. That is true in situations of moral dilemmas as well. He will never put you in a situation where you can only sin. How do you deal with it? Well, what he tells us, he says the prime way to deal with it when you're being tempted is to escape it, to get away from it, to run from it. Paul tells to Timothy, Paul says to Timothy, he says, flee sexual immorality. Now, the Greek word is really helpful there because what it tells us, it means this. Flee sexual immorality. It means escape it. It's that there is an opportunity and you take the opportunity to flee it, to escape it. How do you escape it? One, you actually get up and run away from it. You run to God and you run to people. If your issue is with internet pornography, what do you do? You get rid of your computer. Or if you're in the middle of it of being tempted, you actually get up and leave. You run to God and you run to other people. Go surround yourself with other people. If you're a person that deals with dark and depressive thoughts, and maybe various problematic ideations that you may have, how do you deal with that? You escape. 
Like you actually go surround yourself with other people so that you get outside of your head and outside of your own little world. You surround yourself with, you run to God and you run to his people. You escape the situation. God always provides a way of escape. And the way that he delivers us is by saying, here is the, here is the way of escape. The building is on fire. There is the exit. Go through it. He has given you a means of deliverance. The next two that we're going to look at here are um, deal with it when you're actually dealing with temptation. And the next two are a little bit like, kind of like a riptide at the beach. You know, like when you have a riptide at the beach, it's like, beware, don't get caught in the rip current, don't get caught in the rip current, don't get caught in the rip current. But if you get caught in the rip current, swim parallel to the shore so you get out of the rip current right? Jesus teaches us how his deliverance works is pray that you're not led into temptation. Pray that you're not led into temptation. But when you're in the midst of temptation, fight like Jesus. And that's how he delivers you. Is that you fight like Jesus, namely you fight with the word of God. Throughout Jesus's temptation, being tempted by the devil, there were no special resources given to him. He was not given this supernatural strength that is not available to us in the midst of temptation. So what does Jesus do? In Luke 4, the devil tempts him with who would he trust to provide for him. Here is how Jesus responds. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone. He responds with the word of God that he memorized when he was a child and that, has been, that he has lived and remembered his entire life. How does he respond when he's tempted with this position? He says, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. He responds with the word of God that he memorized since he was a child. How does Jesus respond when he is tempted with who is going to give him protection? Is he going to serve God or is God going to serve him? Here is how Jesus responds. It is written. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. He responds with the word of God that he remembered, that he memorized since his childhood. How do you fight temptation the way Jesus fought temptation? You respond with the word of God that you hopefully have memorized since your childhood. And if you became a Christian later in life, it's time to start memorizing stuff. Psalm 119 says this, How can a young man keep his way pure? How can a person not fall into temptation? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have, David, the psalmist writing as an adult, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. This is exactly how Jesus responded. The word of God was stored in his heart so that when temptation would come, he would respond with the word of God that had been stored in his, in his life. Two weeks ago when I was in class, I was able to, um, I spent an hour, hour and a half actually being able to read Francis Schaeffer's Bible. Some of you know who Francis Schaeffer is. Francis Schaeffer, um, one of the most influential Christians of the 20th century, um, he is the one who is directly responsible for raising awareness of how many children are murdered each year through abortion. He is also one that um, really has modeled for Christianity how to respect and love people that you disagree with and vehemently disagree with. 
Um, he is also the one who has said that honest questions deserve an honest answer. I say that not, un- not infrequently. And um, that if Christianity is true, that it should have honest answers to the honest questions that people ask. Uh, incredible, incredible man of God, and incredible what the Lord did through him. And so I had about an hour and a half to actually read his actual Bible. And to do so was a little bit of some work because it was all of his 41,000 items of his are held in an archive, which are accessible to the public. However, you have to submit an application for which you want to view. Uh, you have to state your purpose for why you want to view it, and then you have to get your application approved by the steward, and after it's approved by the steward, you have to take your approved application, which takes a couple days, over to the guardian of the archive, who then gives you access to the archive. So I got, and there's, there's some privacy concerns with the family, um, which is why that's the case for those that are still alive in his family. And so I got to read Schaefer's Bible, and what was amazing to me was, um, was looking through it. And this is a picture, I did not take it, this is on the, the website. Um, this is a picture from Genesis of his Bible, and you can kind of get it. And every page of his Bible, literally every page of his Bible, I can attest to this, every page of his Bible was just covered with notes and cross-references. Every page. And on the front cover of his Bible, he kept a record of every time he began reading the Bible and every time that he finished reading the Bible and the dates of it. And for he had a record in the opening cover of his Bible of over 30 years of his life, of every time that he had begun reading Scripture and the day that he had finished reading Scripture, begun reading Scripture and had finished reading Scripture. And the thing that stood out to me as I was flipping through his Bible and reading his Bible was his notes that he had mostly all over the place were largely, cross, were largely citations of other Bible verses. And he would look through and he would read a verse and then he would find other passages of Scripture that referenced that verse and he would write the citation on that. The reason why is because, I mean, I don't, I don't read my Bible like that. And part of the reason why I don't read my Bible like that is because I've got a smartphone. And because if I'm wrestling with something and I want to deal with like, oh, Bible verses on anger, let me look. Oh, Bible verses on anger. Here come my Bible verses on anger. Oh, Bible verses that deal with uh, psalms dealing with challenging circumstances in life. Oh, here are five psalms dealing with challenging circumstances in life. Right? So I, I go to the internet whenever I have one of these questions. But for Schaefer, he didn't have those resources. The only thing he had was his Bible. Literally, was his Bible. And so what he did is that when he was wrestling through something or a question, he, he studied Scripture to find where else Scripture spoke about this particular issue. So much so that when he was coming along something, he would say, okay, he would read something, and then he would cite it, and then he would go to another place, and if you looked up the other reference, you could see that reference in the other places that he was referencing, that he was, the other places that he was referencing after that. What this really encouraged me to do is it encouraged me to to know my Bible. I think I do know my Bible. But it encouraged me to know my Bible really well. To know it really well. So that God's Word would be stored up inside of me. You know, I think about this. You know, you can come to church, you can do, you can have put your faith in Christ, 
you can avail yourself of a lot of different spiritual events and activities. But, but, if, but if you don't use the means of grace that God has given to you, I mean, we can talk about a series on prayer, and oftentimes what happens in the Bible, you know, a series on prayer is we talk a whole lot about praying, and there's not a whole lot of praying that goes on. If you don't avail yourself and use the means of grace to grow in your relationship with God yourself, if you don't commune with God through prayer, if you don't know His voice by studying His Word and hiding it in your heart, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. There is only so much that we can do if you do not own your relationship with Jesus yourself and seek to cultivate that relationship and grow in love of your Heavenly Father and in love of Jesus Christ. Now, I understand, like, if Bible reading is something that's new to you, we would love to help you learn how to do that. If you started reading the Bible and you don't know how to make sense of it, we would love to help teach you how to do that. But there's absolutely no substitution for meditating on the Word of God and hiding it and storing it in your heart. It's also one of the reasons why we've got our Illuminations Bible Memory Program for our school-aged children. And if your kids aren't involved, they can still be connected and involved. Why? Why was this so important? So that our children would hide the Word of God in their hearts so that when they get older, when they are tempted, they can fight like Jesus. They can fight with Scripture verses that they have memorized since their youth to deal with the temptation that's before them. Now, here's what happens when we fight like Jesus. When you fight the evil one like Jesus, he leaves. And the devil, had, after the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. James reminds us, submit yourself there to, to God. Resist the devil, and he, will, and he will flee from you. So how does God deliver us? He delivers us, one, by preventing us from entering into temptation. Two, he delivers us by providing a way of escape in the midst of temptation. Three, he delivers us by helping us fight like Jesus, by providing the word of God to fight temptation. Fourth is this, is he delivers us by giving his spirit so that we can resist temptation. Hebrews 4 makes this clear. It says, For we do not have a high priest, that is Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with us in our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus is our intermediary. It says he was tempted in every respect as we are, yet without sin. It is harder to resist temptation than to give in to it. Jesus never gave in to it. And for you that are struggling... Jesus knows your battle, and he knows it much more so than you do. Because the full force and power of temptation was unleashed on him, and he did not break. Therefore, this is what Scripture calls us to. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Do you hear what Hebrews is teaching us? To say, teaching us? It says, Jesus was tempted in every way and yet was without sin. Therefore, what do you do? You pray. You pray to be delivered. You pray to be strengthened by the same Spirit that strengthened Jesus Christ. Ask for it. 
For if we, who are earthly fathers, know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Spirit to those who ask him for it? He gives us deliverance through the strengthening of the Spirit. And the final way that God delivers us, he delivers us by preventing temptation, by providing a way of escape for temptation, by providing the Word of God to resist temptation and his Spirit to strengthen you in the midst of temptation. But there is still a greater deliverance that God gives. And it makes it clear in Romans chapter 7. Paul's wrestling and he says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me. He's struggling with his temptation that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. What a wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Who will deliver me, the prayer of the Lord's Prayer, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Is that through his victory on the cross, the punishment of sin is paid for. The power of sin is broken. And one day the very presence of sin will be No more. Temptation is more prevalent than you are aware. It is more dangerous than you think. And there are far more resources to be delivered from temptation than we use. So let us pray to our Heavenly Father. Father, lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we praise you. For you are the one who is tempted in every way, yet was without sin. You are the one who had the full strain of temptation unleashed upon you yet you did not break. And so you, Lord Jesus, are able to sympathize with us in our weakness, for you have conquered. And we praise you for that, Lord. We praise you and thank you that the punishment of sin is removed. We thank you that the power of sin is broken, and we long for the day when the very presence of sin will be no more. But until that day comes, we, Lord, we pray that you would lead us not into temptation, and that you would indeed deliver us through the means of grace that you have given us, through your word, through your spirit, through your people, that you would deliver us from the evil one. In your powerful name we pray, amen.